Welcome, guys, to Unveiled Podcast. Dave, you are no stranger to this podcast, as you are one of the founders with me on this uh, journey. Um, welcome to Dave uh, and Dave Phillips and Lori Brooks, who are on the podcast. Lori Brooks and Dave Phillips. I'm a, I'm a postscript to this. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> You're coming on this. But uh, yeah, we are doing a 10-part series uh, with Theracil on end-of-life access for psilocybin in Canada, particularly focused around the charter challenge that a group of lawyers are putting together. And uh, as part of the series, we are interviewing some experts, uh, therapists, patients, uh, lawyers and others who have been involved in this case. And uh, mm -hmm. I thought no better place to start than where really this story began for me, which is with my good friend Dave and, uh, and our friend Lori. Um, welcome to Unveiled, guys. Um, I'm going to start with you, Lori. Uh, mm -hmm. How did you first tell, you know, tell me a, the story about how you first had the conversation about psilocybin uh, and who was it with? Because, you know, obviously it's Dave, so we're going to be able to dive into that. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so Lori, tell me about, just kind of give us a little background. Our, the audience here will have heard of you, some of them, some people don't know. Um, give us a little background on the diagnosis that you got and how you had the conversation about, is there something here that could help me with some of my end of life anxiety? Mm -hmm. uh, sure. Lori, dive, take us into your story. Okay. Well, I was diagnosed with colon cancer in February of 2018. Um, and talk about a life-changing moment <laughs> when you get that news, the, your whole life just disappears um, and is yanked away from you. And so the first year um, I went through radiation, chemotherapy, a big surgery, all of the, that stuff. Um, finished all that in January, end of January of 2019. And then about May or June of that year, I started to feel a few things that didn't feel quite right. But the doctors, you know, said, oh, it's probably just from radiation and blah, blah, blah. Anyways, more testing. And around, I think it was in August of 2019, I found out it was back after just seven months. And I think I, I sat down and Googled return of colon cancer after seven months. And it said, the first thing I read was, uh, if it returns in less than two years, you're basic, basically bend over and kiss your ass goodbye. <laughs> Anyways, that, that, that's all I ever read. That's the only thing I've ever Googled about yeah. cancer. After that, it was like, okay, don't need to know anymore. Um, don't want to know anymore. Um, so... Yeah. And then in that year of going through cancer, we had started getting together with friends once a week, just it started, they were bringing us a meal once a week. And then we said, you know, we're kind of lonely, but how about we just eat together? And then, and then um, later on in that year, Dave and Adele said, Hey, we want to join in too. So it was one night that we were having dinner together um, after I had been found out that I had cancer again. And, and was not doing well with the news thinking, okay. And at that point, I think I, yeah, it was that point that my oncologist said, you have six months to a year, unless we can get this chemotherapy to work. And every, if everything goes to plan, according to plan, you'll have more time, but if it doesn't, and it's a big if, um, then you have six months to a year. So I was pretty distressed and angry and confused and like, why? <laughs> All of the, all of those questions that you, you know, normally. You know, Lord, I'm gonna just, you know, I, I know you enough to know that you kind of giggle when you say yeah. that because <laughs> it, there's so much behind that door, right? And yeah. you're like, yeah, it's crazy. You know, I'm gonna die in six months, yeah. and I and I know that if you just stop for a second, you're like, Peg, that those moments were some of the lowest moments of your life, yeah. right? Um, yeah, I mean, just thinking about it now. That's why I giggle about it. I don't want, I don't want to start crying, but it brings up tears immediately because that was the hardest time of my life. Um, you know, the grief, the thinking about my kids, they're just starting their lives and I'm never going to see any of it. All of those feelings. And, uh, you have four kids. Four kids. Yeah. Um, and I'm just trying to think of how old they were at the time, but 
between 20 and 26. So they're just starting in their lives. I'm never going to see them get married or see my grandkids. Never going to be able to pick up, help my daughters choose their wedding dress. All those things that you look forward to as a mom when your kids are grown. And I'm never going to experience any of it. So, yeah, I was angry, just overcome, overwhelmed by grief and crying all the time. And, yeah, slamming doors. cupboards (laughs) um laurie like you represent thousands of people around the world not just in canada but who get who get it who get the worst news you could ever get as a human being you know Mm -hmm. yes we're all gonna die we know that but it's very very different emotional experience when someone says you've got i don't know if you're gonna make christmas you know like that's a different story Uh you had to deal with that and wake up to that horror every day yeah. Yeah. And it's always there hanging over you. Like a, we say, it's like a black cloud that you're living in yeah. and uh, can't get out of. So and, then, so you, you were sitting in this, you had yeah. your friends, Dave and Adele, and we'll, we'll yeah. obviously Dave's on the call and he'll, we'll get him to jump in in the story in a, in a minute. But tell me about that first conversation uh, that you had. Dave is a marriage and family therapist. Uh, mm-hmm. And he's obviously, you know, he's a trainer with Theracil. So full disclosure here, he's a national trainer training uh, physicians and therapists mm-hmm. on how to navigate these uh, altered states with psilocybin. So that was a couple of years ago. But what? tell me about that conversation. T- take me into what happened in that. And then I want to get Dave's perspective on that. So what happened in that in that dinner event that you were chatting with Dave and Adele? I think I think we had talked about it a little, or heard from Dave a little bit already before that night um, about what he was learning about psilocybin and because you had talked to Glenn, my husband Glenn, about uh, him doing a trip first, and then when we found out my cancer was back, then he said maybe we should let Lori try it first. Anyways, we were at Ken and Val's house for dinner and. Uh, we watched, what's the name of that documentary? New Understanding. A New Understanding. Understanding. Great film. Johns Hopkins. And, Mm -hmm. and the, the difference, there is one woman, I don't remember her name. And I think she, and she did pass away in the end of the documentary, but the look of, she just looked radiant and peaceful Mm -hmm. in the documentary. And I thought, if I can do that, if that helps get me to that spot that's what I want because I'm not feeling it right now um so and then we just had this beautiful evening of connection with our friends watching this documentary and I think that was the night that everybody kind of stepped into the into the soup with us in a new way (laughs) and just felt this beautiful connection with our friends and and yeah we're in this with you and whatever we can do to help so for us, that was, you know, the start of something for you. The obviously. start of something. Yeah. And Dave, do you remember that evening? Of, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. So uh, Dave, tell us a little bit about, um, you know, we know, I mean, I just kind of set you up a little bit, right? You are yeah. a, a trainer with Theracil. You've been a marriage and family therapist, but tell, take us into that evening. You know, one of your good, good friends, you, you've known Glenn and Lori over 30 years, uh, you know, friends of yours. All of a sudden, it, it's no longer just this uh, client, someone that you have to navigate, you know, in your mm-hmm. office. It's these are your friends that are dealing with this. Uh, mm-hmm. Tell me about what that conversation was like. Yeah, and what I, were you I, saying? I, I like the, the format of us doing this because I think for folks listening in to recognize, you know, there's going to be two different stories here. Right. And yeah, Lori's a friend, but she was also someone I could think clinically about. Right. So uh, I. I think it's just kind of interesting to see how the clinician kind of uh, thinks about the very same things. Uh, and I knew we were going to have this conversation. So I reviewed all my journals last night to kind of, oh yeah, right. All right. So um, it was, uh, at Lori's right, we started uh, connecting a little friendship group, which was really beautiful and nice to have community. Uh, but then our kind of cancer was gone and it was just sort of, uh, um, we were just like hanging out and it was really nice. But then in, the, in that summer, uh, Lori, Lori told us that the cancer's back. I, I, there was, I put in my journal, like Lori told us tonight that the cancer 
was back and, you know, she's scared. Um, but really for me, uh, it was a Thursday night in August. Uh, she had had her surgery um, and uh, Adele and I were golfing and uh, we got a call from Glenn, got a text from Glenn. Uh, and he said that uh, Lori had had one or two seizures um, and that uh, it didn't look good and that he was calling the kids in. And Adele and I were on the 14th green and we just, we just start, started weeping. We were just, we thought our friend might die tonight. And, um, and she didn't, which was, which was, you know, a miracle that she didn't because it obviously uh, for, for a while there. After that, the friend and I, I know that there's something there that might be useful to her. Um, but I also recognized that uh, this was pretty strange and pretty bizarre for, for most people. I mean, magic mushrooms are, are deeply stigmatized. Uh, you know, they're considered, a, a, they, are, they are a schedule one drug, which means they're on the same level as say crystal meth or something. And, and it's, uh, you know, you know, hey, do you want to score some crystal meth? I mean, it's just it's something that um, you can't imagine, any, right? Yeah. And, and while it had been, you know, in Laurie and Glenn, pretty smart, pretty engaged people, and they were kind of aware of the sort of stuff I was, you know, it was still pretty abstract. And I also was aware that the other very beautiful people uh, probably would would really struggle with this idea because I hadn't said much of it to them. And so we were going to get together on a Wednesday. And uh, so I, I said to Adele, my partner, that, hey, we, we've got to stop running from Lori's cancer as if it's a, an awkward topic of conversation. She's, she's clearly facing her death. I can't imagine how hard this is for her. And yet when we get together, we just kind of don't really talk about it. We talk around it a little bit. And so I went up to this other couple's place, it was around three o'clock in the afternoon, I remember, and said, I need to talk to the two of you. And I, I this is going to be a challenging conversation. And I, and I don't, you're allowed to have your feelings, but uh, what I want to do tonight is I want to show this documentary about Johns Hopkins work. I think it, it, it kind of shows the issues in clarity. And I said, we have to stand with Glenn and Lori in the openness and authenticity of it. And, but I don't want to force you to do something you're not comfortable with because all of us have weird feelings about death and dying and it can get odd really quickly. Mm -hmm. This couple were unbelievable. They just absolutely said, if there's anything we can do to support Lori, we are open to doing it. And so that's why we had that night where we showed this documentary and you and Lori's right, right on. You could just feel that there was a sense of, of lowering of defenses. I remember at one point, um, Adele and Val were, were kneeled at Lori's feet and they were holding her and the three of them were just crying together and there was an authenticity. And I just, I felt, okay, good. We now have the community around this. We now, we now have uh, an openness. And then Lori and I had to get down working and it, uh, it, it was, uh, you know, this is where I get to be the clinician, right? I can kind of look at Lori as a client, not as a friend. But for me, um, you know, we, when you said, Peg, a few minutes ago, the horror of facing, you know, you might be dead by Christmas, they'll use the word horror of that. And I think all of us recognize that that is a very common human reaction. But the other side of it is it doesn't have to be a horror. Right. And like, right. like it, like it, it exactly. there, like you said about Annie from the documentary, you're, you're, you're looking, listening to a woman who is imminently facing her death. And in fact, who did die within yeah. months of the interviews. Yeah. And yet there's a radiance about her. There's an openness about her. And that is, that is out there as a possibility. Mm -hmm. And so, but I, I take the, the perspective as a, as a clinician, everybody's, if I can use the word fear of death, you know, as a, as a way of expressing it, everyone's fear of death, it, it, it has a story behind it. There's, there, there are traumas or griefs or losses or regrets or something uh, that are informing this. And as we, as I began to really get into the kind of the depths of Lori's story, I mean, she's my friend, but I began recognizing themes of um, uh, how fear-based her Christianity was. Mm -hmm. And, and so now, even though she'd left that, that kind of model of Christianity, it's still inside of her and she's afraid now. What, what's, what's it going to be like? Am I, am I going to meet 
uh, an angry God? Am I going to meet no God? I, I just don't know. And Stan Groff calls this as, as a spiritual emergency. So she's she's facing this crisis of her life, but she's got no scaffolding around it. So it's just, she's in free fall. She began to, to talk about, um, I, I asked her one day, because a big issue for Lori, and you don't mind me talking about this, Lori, I assume, no. is that, yeah, I, I asked her, uh, what, what's, what are some of the biggest problems that this cancer is causing you? And, and she talked about how she was withdrawing from her children, notably her daughters, because she couldn't imagine putting them through having to care for her. Like that seemed to be like a real hardship in her mind that they shouldn't so have. Common. That's so common. Right. Especially with colon cancer, because it's a it's a very messy cancer. It's a very, you know, <laughs> you know, you think about issues of, you know, of what, what our intestines and colons all do. And it's literally shitty. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and sort of like you want about that. <laughs> like you just think about your own respect. You know, can you, you yeah. know, no one wants to imagine someone changing our diapers when we're old as an example. Yeah. But and so Lori was facing this and, and pushing her kids away in a sense. And so I said, well, I, we inquired into it. And what began to emerge was this subjugation of women thing. Her whole life, she had been socialized to be a caregiver, to give to people, but the idea of her being the recipient of care. And so again, you can see that, okay, this story is beginning to take shape and, and we would talk about it. And from those conversations, she began to develop the intentions that she wanted. She began more clear. I don't want to be afraid. Uh, I don't want to be fearing chemo. I don't, I want whatever happens with my life or death, I want to live in the moment. These are, I want to be close to my children. I, I want to know that, that they're going to be okay after I die. I want to know what's going to happen to me after I die. These very important questions began to emerge. And, and uh, in, in that sense, working with Lori was such you a joy. I, I, that, I, I want to just frame that for a second, because it's a really important point that you guys just have brought up so naturally, is that in the conversation about this charter challenge and, and giving Canadians access to legal psilocybin for end-of-life anxiety, which is what you were you know, legitimately applying for through the FEP, uh, Section 56 exemption, which right. you were able to get. But what I think what's emerging right now in this conversation that I never really thought about was what this access to, it's not just about getting someone access to a psilocybin mushroom so that they can just take this little pill. Yeah, this that's, the, that probably about, won't be all that helpful to them. Right, right. Yeah. So what, what, what you're describing, you guys, for the last 10 minutes is a community that came around, people that mm -hmm. came around to help you, a recognition that death and dying is part of our life as human beings, that we need yeah. to move into that, that, this, that psilocybin and the process around it is actually all therapeutically beautiful. Like it now makes you have different conversations. It makes you yeah. think about your kids. It makes Ooh. you think about how am I going to want to end my life? What, who do I want to be? So you, we haven't even got to the trip yet. We haven't even, no. you guys even haven't even done the mushroom no. yet. And yet look at all the growth and healing no. that's already started yeah, by it's you like guys there's having a, this conversation. There's a stuckness. Like we, we can say those things, but there's a stuckness. Okay, but I can't seem to get, Around it, if Lori can tell the one story, Lori, I tell my classes is uh, two days before her experience, we were we were having our last session before uh, her trip, and um, she wasn't in a good mood that night. I remember she kind of <laughs> and I so so I said, so "What's going on?" And she said, "Ah, they just set the chemo. The next round of chemo is coming." And said it was a date for it. And you know, obviously, I have compassion. We're like, "Oh, that sucks, man." And 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 but then I made a dumb little joke. I said, "You know." Because it was like six weeks away or something, Laurie, something like that. Yeah. And I said, I said, you know, the funny thing is, Laurie, you could get hit by a bus tomorrow and all this worrying <laughs> wouldn't mean anything. And she went, yeah, I know, but that's how I feel. And yeah. for me as a therapist, I'd run up against this obstacle thousands and thousands and thousands of times, which is, yes, that she has an intention of wanting to be free, but she's stuck. And, and usually it, take, it can take 10 years of therapy to I, try to jiggle that stuckness yeah. free. We now have a medicine that's able to kind of unstuck your anchor. So you're now free to start sailing your ship, but you're so right, Peg. It, it's not just you take this medicine and it's going to do that automatically. This is psilocybin assisted psychotherapy. That's what the research validates. And it's the, the medicine component of it the trip component is an important component, but it's only really 
one of like preparing yourself, mm-hmm. having the trip and then integrating it into your life. Those are all very important phases of it. I was, yeah, I was going to say, I remember that night too. <laughs> I'm thinking, I was a little pissed off. Like, what do you, what do you mean? I don't have to. I know you were like, I, I remember that. That's yeah. crazy. You obviously have no clue what I'm going through. Yeah, You're yeah, a therapist, uh, but you have no understanding. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. I'm such a jerk. <laughs> and then, but then the, I mean, the seed was planted in my brain and the, I started to think, well, maybe I don't have to yeah. be feeling this way. Who said? You were so open. Lori, one of yeah. the things I, I admired so much about your work is because we got, we had to get down into the into the nitty gritty of your life. Even in, uh-huh. I won't share your personal details, but even into some regrets and challenges you're facing, and had to really look in the mirror and say, "Okay, I have created some of this in my own life." And I was so proud of how open you were to talk, to have these conversations. And when we, I mean, you were nervous like everybody is. Yeah. But I could tell when we actually sat for your session, you were you were wide open. You were like, I am willing to face what I need to face so that I can emerge from this with no fear of death, with connection to my children, all of it. I was so you proud. You know, Lori, take us into that. I think experience. it's called desperation. <laughs> well, maybe. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's all a part factor. of it, right? It, it makes us do things. And But Lori, yeah. take us into that that day that, uh, you know, you, you did uh, five grams of uh, psilocybin mushrooms. Uh, yeah. And um, tell me about the process a little bit because uh, it's brand new you you are not a really a drinker you haven't really done you haven't done any drugs and no. so here all of a sudden you know boom you're gonna have a big experience yeah. uh, i think it was sam harris who said the other day he says the issue is not you know what you know do, do mushrooms do anything he says i can guarantee that there'll be a freight train of information pouring into your neurocortex within <laughs> about 45 minutes that is not debatable what yeah. you do with it and what happens after is really interesting so yeah. what happened to you and you had that the playlist uh, the headphones the eye shades yeah. you had a, a people sitters with you take us into that process and what emerged from that uh, that initial experience for you laurie sure before I would do that, though, I want to say one more thing about mm-hmm. something Dave said a long time ago about people around me and be, me sharing my story or what I forget what you even said. People, people need to realize that I, I guess I should just speak for myself, but I think cancer patients in general, we need to talk about it. So, yeah, yeah ask because don't don't be afraid that you're, you know, bringing this all back to me again. It's in my head already. Yeah. You're not being reminded of cancer. Yeah. Oh, but we do no, that. We, we collude together not to talk but, about it. Yeah, yeah. Oh. We need to talk about it. So, yeah. yeah. I, and I'm so thankful for the friends that I have that have allowed me to talk about it and sometimes tell them gross stories because sometimes we just need to unload stuff. <laughs> but, and they've been fine with all of it. And I'm thankful for that. Anyways. Yeah. And uh, you have yeah. helped us, by the way. Just let's not let's not lose that. Yeah. Your willingness to talk about your fear of death helps all of us face our fear of death. So you've been it just as you're a gift to and everyone who's watching this podcast, you were was, a gift to us. Yeah. Well, and there's no roadmap for this. So in the very beginning, I said to Glenn, I, I want to take pictures and document all of this because who knows who's going to come next, right? And maybe it'll be a help to somebody, but here we go. Here we are. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways. Um, yeah, back to the morning of the trip. I had no idea what to expect because I've never done psychedelics before. I mean, the most I've ever done is some marijuana, cannabis <laughs> edibles. So, um, yeah, but I remember Dave gave me the mantra, uh, trust, be open and let go. And he said, the harder you, the more you fight it, the worse it's going to be. So I had the fear of God in me about <laughs> fighting it so okay, good good i'm open i'm open <laughs> i'm open funny. i promise <laughs> exactly i give i give you know it's like this open stamp so I, I give up right away I yeah i used to so tell patients you have you have two choices you can fight the trip or go with the trip i don't recommend the first no <laughs> no not at all well, yeah, um, what were some of the emotions and themes that came up uh, from your experience and then what was the downline effect in your own life and in your life your family okay so my first and biggest intention was i want my family to know who i am 
because yeah, I've been, I've grown up a certain way uh, to be, to pretend everything's okay on the outside, but things are boiling on the inside, <laughs> right? Um, so yeah, and for my kids, I don't want them, I want them to know me, not just this one dimensional mom character, but who is mom, right? So that they can tell their kids and grandkids about me. Um, so that was my intention. And I've been laughing the last few weeks after seeing the documentary and everything kind of laughing like, wow, that <laughs> it hadn't even occurred to me, but that intention is definitely coming true <laughs> yeah. in yeah. crazy ways. Yeah. Um, just, just, you made a mention dosed Two is a documentary yes. coming out about your uh, about your journey yeah uh dosed to check it out the trailer's out i know it launches in august yeah. so i just want to put we'll have a link to the trailer in the show notes here but uh yeah thanks for referencing that clearly yeah. your family knows who you are now for yeah. sure so so everybody yeah, else everyone else can can it. <laughs> <laughs> anyways um yeah that was my first intention and then um yeah i felt well, I wanted to know, um, obviously, what's the afterlife like? Is there one? What's it going to be like? What is death going to be like? Um, and some other more personal things that involve other people. So I'm not going to talk about those. But um, and also, I just, yeah, I wanted out of that prison that I had been living in, wow. pretending to be somebody I'm not. Peg, I think that what Lori just said there is one of the single most important dynamics of, a, of this journey. I think there's so much power in saying out loud what you want for your life. You know, it's because you're declaring your values. I want out of this prison. We all recognize, Laura, that, that yeah. you were having a hard time getting out of the prison. Yeah. But to be able to say, I'm in a prison and I want out. And that, that to me is the state that, that when you say your brain becomes flooded with insight and that becomes very on point to it it really opens the door and Lori walks out of that prison so i uh, thanks so much for saying that Lori, because i think it's very yeah. very powerful a yeah. very clear way of stating it yeah and the other one i wanted to say mention was i like how am i going to go through cancer again and make the right decisions how do i know what the right decisions are i've done everything that i was told to do and i just came back so um how do i what do I do with that? And, and so there was lots of anxiety about how do, how do I know what, what decision is the right one? Cause you know, if I make the wrong one, I die. <laughs> so <laughs> there's a lot on the line. Um, yeah. So I was a little nervous that morning. Mm. Arrived, I arrived at Dave and Adele's house and had a little ceremony with the mushrooms and I ate them and, uh, you guys kind of left me alone after that in the room and I was looking at some books and you'd said it might take an hour sometimes an hour and a half to start to feel something so just look at these books art art books and engage the right side of your brain and everything so I was sitting there and after about 10 minutes I'm like, I feel funny <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what's going on. And then I realized, oh, it's starting already. So I called Dave and I, this is what I'm feeling. Is this right? So, and then I was off from there. We put the the headphones and the eye shades on and away I went. And what would, give me a theme from that. Cause I know you could, you could talk for hours on, you know, the actual trip experience itself. Uh, but what was kind of the theme as you, you know, the six hours mm -hmm. ended, uh, and you know, you had all these experiences and insights yeah. and wisdom and, you know, and you, what was kind of, as you walk away from that, what were you left with? Well, every, we had just gotten back from Maui. We had taken our kids to Maui, um, for two weeks before everything started again. Um, we had planned to go at Christmas and then to celebrate me being cancer-free for a year. And then 
obviously that changed. We moved everything up till September. Planned a trip. Planned a trip for ten people to go to Maui for two weeks in three days, (laughs) and we left. We left in less than a week. Anyway, had a great time. But my whole trip, I felt like I kept. I felt like I was on McKenna Beach, big beach in Maui, in the waves, and kept getting hit by these big waves in the beginning big huge waves of emotion that would just knock me over Hmm. and there was one point in my trip where I thought who is that crying (laughs) somebody's wailing and crying and then I realized oh it's me (laughs) Uh, but I was able to release all of that emotion and grief and just work through it all and face it. And and it kept coming back and knocking me over again and again, but each time it was a little bit lighter and a little bit lighter. And, uh, you know, and in real time, Peg, uh, there was a point, yeah, probably like an hour and a half in where Lori's sobbing was so deep. Adele and I had to kind of try to open her up a little bit so she could breathe. Okay. And as a therapist, it was the, it was the deepest sobbing I had ever experienced in my therapeutic career and when we asked Lori but after it's exactly what she said she said she was in the tent talking to this old woman this sagely woman and said who's crying outside and the woman didn't she say to you I think it's you I don't maybe that's what that's what I wrote down <laughs> yeah that's funny yeah because in my trip in the beginning I uh everything was dark and cold and I thought is this what it's like to die? This is scary and I don't like it. I'm, I, and I, I know I said out loud, uh, I'm all alone. And that's when this woman showed up beside me, this native woman that helped me. I felt like I was in a fo- dark forest in the middle of the night with all these creatures staring at me through the trees and bushes. And she led me down this path and told me it was going to be okay. And at one point it was my grandma when I looked at her and she... Um, and then it was back to this older native woman helping me and, uh, yeah, just sitting with me and talking to me. And, and then the sun started to come up and I remember I thought, oh, my, my eye shades must have, must be coming up off because they could see Sounds light right. around the edges. And that's so I adjusted them and well, no, that's just what I'm seeing. And that was, mm. I was in this beautiful, beautiful warm spot and I went oh okay if this is what heaven is like if this is what dying is like I'm gonna be okay oh, and you um, know you're, you're talking about a knowing that's not a head knowledge right yeah, no. read books and it, it's about you you were experiencing some deep yeah. stuff from inside yeah. of you yeah. that allowed you to just feel a sense of settledness and peace yeah that is like you know Dave I, I you've said it before you have you have a, I remember there's this quote, I've heard you say this, which is like, I've waited my entire therapeutic life for moments like this, breakthroughs that can happen for people that you just have had a trouble getting, getting there with just typical, you know, cognitive behavioral talk therapy. There's a shift that can happen. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, look at, look at what Lori just said, that shift that happened to her. I don't know how to do that. If I could do that, I'd be the richest therapist on the planet. I mean, that, that is beyond the scope of psychotherapy. And, and again, not that there isn't a lot of psychotherapy that goes into, you know, psilocybin assisted therapy, but this, what happens dynamically inside of a person is unique is personal to them and only their brain can do that math. I, I'm not in her brain. I don't know how the traumas of her life had been healed or not or been ordered. Like when Lori said, like she's on this, feels like she was on the big waves of Maui and the, some the big waves just crash. And sometimes they feel like they're going to take you under. And, and that to me is her, her own system is now releasing her trauma, which has been stored in her body for decades and decades. And, mm-hmm. and you just got to kind of experience, let it roll through your body a little bit. And yeah, it starts getting a little less, a little less, a little less, but it takes, it takes a lot of uh, courage to, to allow that to happen. That's where the guides become very important to, you know, like Adele would hold Lori's hand or hug her or whatever it might be to give her a sense of you're not alone. But at the end of the day, it's, it's Lori's courage her her intentions it, the to to 
the, when she said her intentions, I know we kind of joked about it, but what in essence she was saying was, these values are more important to me than whether or not this is a challenging emotional experience for me. I choose to go through this challenging emotional experience because my values are more important. For me, I go, that is power. There's, there's something very important going on inside of her that allows this to happen. Yeah, and I, you know, there's this metaphor at, at we use this phrase uh, called your inner healing intelligence, and sometimes right. make people feel right. weird. Like, what does that mean? And I, I think or innate that, healing ability or something. Yeah, sure. but we we have this in our biology, right? If we cut our sure. finger, you have immediate. You, you don't have to think. I want to get the white blood cells over there to clot it, and I want to start repairing that. Your right. body just does that. Right. You don't need your brain to kind of do it. There's an, there's an innate healing that happens in our physical right. body. And what we're finding is that these altered states allow the body to move itself back to balance emotionally, therapeutically, back to these centers. We just kind of have to disengage the default mode network, this, this part Control, of the brain that just this, yeah. has to make meaning. Yeah, if you, I love your, your use of the body system. Like we, we love how our body, if we get a scratch or a cut, how our body instantly engages uh, without our, our intention, without our telling it to do, keeps so we don't get infected and bleed out and all that. But there are times where we can overwhelm that system, right? It doesn't work yeah. always. I mean, if I cut you with a blade or something, I mean, and that's the same with, with healing from emotional, from uh, social, relational uh, traumas is, it's not like, uh-oh, we lost her. It's not like your, your, uh, your, healing intelligence abilities isn't trying it's still trying it's just getting stopped by a very complex system of defenses that you say you call the default mode network but when we can relieve that when we can kind of put that the the influence of that part of the brain aside a little bit it's like instantly your power your healing intelligence goes okay good i know what to do now mm. and you know it's it's almost like it's got six hours to clean up a lifetime of mess mm. but it does it and that's why you know laurie says i love your metaphor Laurie. it's like the big waves of maui those big yeah. five footers that just can be you know pretty hard yeah. to manage yeah. 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 yeah yeah um so Lori, what um, I mean, it, what it sounds like is this this experience, this this one, you know, and 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 this experience that you had with psilocybin really helped bring you back into to balance, to understand Absolutely. where your cancer fit yeah. into your life. Uh, what was the downline effect for how you know? What did you say to your kids next? What did you say to Glenn after that experience? And how did you find uh, you know find balance uh, the next few months after that? Well, I think. Uh, well, I've, a couple of things that, about my trip I wanted to sure. talk about too. I saw all my doctors, nurses, mm. all the equipment, needles, everything, and and something, and it just said, "These are the people that will worry about your cancer. They're they're trained and know how to take care of you, so leave it to them." And I was able, I've been able to do that. Uh, you know, there's so that was a huge part of it um and also saw myself being released from a prison and and yeah since then and and psilocybin the psilocybin trip is the beginning of the journey not the end so yes I've been released from this prison but I need to do the work to not put myself back into the prison Mm. right and change I've so well said yeah I needed to do the work to uh, you know, set up boundaries um, and really think about what am I going to let back into my life, uh, and and also I forget where I was going to go with that, but anyways, well, chemo no, I, brain. <laughs> well, I think I think you, you rightly point out, and I think this is really good for the audience to understand is that you know in the beginning we talked about all the other things that are surrounding yeah. the psilocybin, yeah. the community, the psychotherapy, the intentions, yeah. and now here you're saying, okay, you have this experience, but it's yeah. not like it's over. Now you said it's just yeah. starting. I just now starting. have to start showing now up. Now hard work starts. Yeah. <laughs> so the first year. After that first uh, psilocybin trip, yeah, my kids, our kids just changed our relationship. First of all, they thought it was hilarious that their mom was doing mushrooms. Um, So that even before I had- had, You're way more hip now. I have a hip mom. I'm way cooler now. (laughs) 
<laughs> and by the way, I always joke, if you want your kids to think you're the best mom in the world, get cancer. <laughs> oh. <laughs> a little dark, but I get it. A little darker, but okay. Okay. Yeah. I'll go with that. <laughs> Anyways, um, it had already started before that when we were in Maui, we were sitting around the table one night in the condo we were staying in and they were telling us all their experiences in high school with the mushrooms and different things that they had tried. I'm like, you little shits, I can't believe you did that. But, but it opened that conversation. Yeah. That, now that oh, mom's doing mushrooms, can we can all kind of admit that, yeah, we've got them too. Yeah. We have cancer, but we were just doing it because we wanted Maybe, to be in the forest uh, and feel connected. Yeah, it just allowed us to have a little bit more open relationship and conversation and but then afterwards you know they all came over that night after my trip and I told them and I had had these moments with each of them where I was able to see each of them for who they are and what they mean to me and how special they are and and their partners too and how their partners are just loving them and supporting them and it was such a huge help for me to see uh my kids are good they've got even though this is hard and it will be hard if i die they've got these people with them that are gonna support them and just like i have my friends and, that support me so can, can you I feel this that. energy in real time like you and me right now peg what what Lori is just this energy she's moving into life can you can you imagine what that's like to be around? It's going to engender openness back. Yeah, yeah. Right. We so want to be closer to you. It's so attractive. So exactly. attractive. Like I can see what now that you're out of this prison and you're kind of opening up to who you are yeah. and who you want to be in the world. And yeah. and, and I, you use the metaphor of you know, the cancer was in a box, kind of beside yeah. you on the floor, yeah, not this dominating monster. Exactly. It's you yeah. can pick it up and open it up when you want, kind of thing, right? That's yeah. a completely radical change from the day that's before. Like, yeah. how, how did that happen? You know I what I mean? No and, idea. <laughs> you know, I, I guess, you know, Laurie, I, I, I'm sitting here again. I guess I'm just sitting here again, it, it, dumbfounded that Canadians don't have access to this legally. Yeah. You know, because, yeah. that, that, you know, you know, we have an Abbotsford Cancer Center here. Uh, one of the, you know, one of the leading yeah. cancer centers here, BC Cancer Center, you could probably walk in there and you could say, hey, uh, who else is navigating these issues? Who yeah. else would like to be able to, you know, feel differently <laughs> about their cancer, about themselves, have closure at the yeah. end of their life, connect with their family, connect with their true self. All of those, everyone wants that. I'm and yet imagining here it's illegal. I'm imagining sitting in the chemo room where everybody's lined up with their chemo drugs being pumped into them and everybody raising their hand. Yeah, I want that too. <laughs> I recently read a, a, a stat, it might be from Johns Hopkins, I can't remember, but it, it is said that 70%, uh, 70% of everyone that's given uh, a serious di cancer diagnosis has an existential crisis. Mm. Yeah. That's, that, that's an enormous number. How many humans in Canada then right now are in some sort of fear of their life that is that is directly impacting quality of life mm -hmm. right so and we've already said in canada we've given you the right to medically assist in dying we've, yeah, we've said made, right the made legislation made, we've, yeah. we've said well why can't we allow a therapy that will improve your quality of life while you're facing your death it, it seems like a far far lesser intervention and yeah. yet here we are facing a charter challenge. We have to, we have to actually bring, uh, you know, the government to court over this. It seems, it seems ludicrous to me, except, you know what, Peg, these, these substances like, like uh, magic mushrooms and cannabis are, have, for whatever reasons, they feel subversive to governments, I guess. Mm. They feel dangerous to governments. And so they forever just construct laws to keep them away. And, and yet in Canada, we've got, We've already said cannabis, you can use cannabis uh, back in 2000, the charter challenge, which was 
You can grow your own cannabis to manage the pain of your cancer. That was established by Supreme Court appeal. And so we're just using that same argument now, just fill in the blanks with psilocybin. It follows the same jurisprudence. And we, you know, we have the law on our side. It's, it's just to me ridiculous that our, our own health authority has to fight its own doctors, its own therapists, its own nurses uh, for something that you hear Lori's story, which is not an unusual story in this in this area. I think yeah. 70 to 80 percent of people that go through this therapy find this kind of relief. It's it just to me is I, I, I get so frustrated. And yet I guess it's, we're just going to have to do what we do. And that's thank you for doing this podcast. So more Canadians can recognize yeah. we're not talking about, hey, let's all just go down to Wreck Beach and score some some drugs, uh, regardless of what you may yeah. think about. This is this is green lighting a therapy with strong clinical research behind it to relieve the emotional uh, suffering of folks facing uh, their death. I just you think know, it seems so. It is. Yeah. You know, and I, and I guess there's a couple aspects. I mean, you, 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 we know that this substance is safe. <clears throat> we, we, we've seen it's the toxicology. This is not addictive. This is safe. And, and, and then last, and then the big one that I think you just really mentioned so well, Dave, is what we're asking is that we are asking the Canadian public to give the trust to the physician and the therapist that they, in consultation with their patient, will know what's best for their patient. How do you, as a politician, think you know what's best for Lori Brooks? Exactly. She's dying of cancer. You don't have a clue what she needs. Her physician and her therapist and her can, can talk together and say, this is what Lori wants. And as a Canadian, you should have access to any substance that you want to be able to navigate the end of your life any way you want. And as you rightly said, if we've already given the, the doctor the, the power to be able to give you morphine, to be able to give you fentanyl, to be able to give you the strongest drugs on the market, we said, oh, we trust doctors with that. We totally believe that they have the best interest of Canadians in mind, right? All we're saying is, can we trust physicians and therapists with the same, this non-toxic molecule that grows on the planet that can actually help people deal with their end-of-life anxiety? This is ludicrous that this is actually happening in Canada. And I know we will look back on this time like we did with cannabis and go, I can't believe we had our heads in the sand for so long with this war on drugs. This has to end. And Lori, your story has to be told because there's thousands of people yeah. in pain and it's well, wrong. It's a moral wrong that what we're doing right now. I would go one step, step further from what they've said. Uh, doctors need to trust the patients too. Mm. We know what we need, <laughs> especially wow. like this is my third time through cancer in four years. I know what treatments, like when I go into the hospital with a bowel obstruction, I know exactly what I need. Mm. And sometimes it takes some convincing. <laughs> yeah. Like You're saying, how about a partnership here? How about yeah, we team a partnership? Up yeah. Because I know exactly what I need. When I go into the hospital, I need this, 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 and this drug all together, but it takes them a while to trust me that I know that. So doctors, listen to your patients too. I don't want to be strung out on morphine all the time because I, I mean, I've had all of those drugs and they're great. They're, and they're, they've a, tool. they're a tool, right? They're a tool. Yeah. But if this is my last time few months on earth do i want to spend it being so strung out that i can't enjoy my life no <laughs> release me from that and allow me to take psilocybin and live without the anxiety it's reduced my pain uh i actually don't i think it's been helped me to be less of a drain on the medical system because i'm not taking all these extra things and in some crazy way, Lori, that maybe we don't, don't fully them. medically understand, you're still alive. I'm still I mean, alive. Oh, I know. And, and healthier I know exactly than I've ever known I'm you. Here. I know. Yeah, and but, this, is the, this is the anomaly, Lori. And, and, and this is even like, you know, we were joking. You're like, I don't even know if you really want my story because I'm, I'm actually beating cancer. Like, I've been told oh, yeah. I'm going to die over and over. And, and it, we, all we can say is, well... We know that the mind-body connection is very, very real. And we know that anxiety and fear put our bodies into a fight or flight response. Yeah. And we know that when that happens, our bodies only heal when they're in the parasympathetic rest and digest place, right? 
So if you're living in fear and anxiety from the moment you wake up, you are not allowing your body to give the best chance it can to fight exactly. cancer. You yeah. gave your body the best chance it can by lowering your anxiety and fear. And here you are, you're still alive. Well, exactly. I've said to somebody recently, it's like, psilocybin helped me. The walls were closing in on me and psilocybin helped push those walls back. So I had room to breathe and to really, uh, and I, looking back now, I see the journey that it sent me on. It's been crazy. And this is two years, two and a half years after my first mushroom trip, but I've had time to really dig into that, yeah, the mind-body connection. I read Gabor Mate's book, The Body Says No, and, and that caused me to start really digging in with actual sit-down talk therapy with a therapist and digging into all these issues that I needed to work on. Lori, could I just say something about you, Peg, if it's okay? Yeah. Um, I've said this to you personally, Lori, but to be able to state it publicly, I don't think any of us can fully appreciate the courage of this woman to to tell her story publicly in the documentary, on podcasts, uh, in her blog, in in all she is she has been fearless in being able to say I'm going to tell the story. And when I've said that to you, you know what she basically says: "Fuck it, whatever. I'm gonna. I don't care who knows my story. I want my story to be out there so other Canadians facing this can find some hope, can find some direction. They know they know what they can do. And and you're just kind of like nonchalant about it a little bit. I'm just telling you, Lori. I don't know anybody in my life that would be willing to be so vulnerable about your body, about your life, about your feelings, about your family's experience through all this. And you and your family have shared it with the Canadian public. And I just say publicly, thank you. I think history is going to look back and see you as a very important person who has moved this whole whole thing forward. So thank you on behalf of us all for the courage, which I know doesn't seem that big to you, but is a massive uh, declaration that you've done. So thank you. Thank you, Dave. But I'll also say that, I mean, that was baby steps too, one step at a time. Fair enough. But each time I went, oh, this feels good. Just getting rid of this because it's been weighing me down. Like, I mean, the changes to my body and the things, all my, like I call them aftermarket parts, <laughs> that was a big thing for me. And, but to be able to write about it in my blog and just put it out there, it's like finally just letting it go. And uh, who, Lori, we want to put a link in there. <laughs> yeah, I love that. We want to definitely put a link in, in the show notes for your blog. Yeah. I want oh, her blog is phenomenal. It's awesome. absolutely it's encourage raw. people to read it. It is yeah. not. Uh, it's awesome because it's raw. It's authentic. People are dying for people to be honest and truthful about these experiences. Yeah. And you are being honest in that blog. And I really want to give you more voice as much as we can to honor your voice, Lori. Uh, we're closing in on an hour. I want to give you each an opportunity to kind of really focus your or comments on uh, this kind of why Canadians need to be kind of informed and open to, uh, you know, seeing this, this charter challenge is coming the way. And at the end of the day, right, the, the charter challenge, it could, it could go that the, the government doesn't want to fight because they realize that the Canadian public are like, why are you spending millions of taxpayer dollars, government, uh, fighting a law that we don't even agree with? This is a law from 1974, a holdover from the American war on drugs, uh, and we adopted it, and it's never been overturned. Uh, Canadians should have rights to these these substances and to be able to work with a physician and a doctor. Lori, give us your best heart on why, when you think about your friends and colleagues that are in the cancer, uh, dealing with end-of-life cancer, why do Canadians need to be informed that this needs to be something that needs to be accessible? Oh, I mean, being able to go through cancer and not feeling a lot of anxiety, not to be weighed down by it. And some days I do forget that I have cancer. Like, oh yeah, great. I'm still, it's still there. Um, Just recently I asked my oncologist and I've never had the guts to ask him this before, but the guys were there filming and wanted me to ask. So I did. (laughs) Do do you think I'm going to survive? And he said, no. 
you won't. This will come back and it'll get you. That's not the way cancer works. And But I'm also working on my inner issues and, and you know, following Gabor's advice in his book and, and everything I re- I've read since then, I think, well, who's, who says I'm not going to survive? He doesn't know. Yeah. He's not God. So I'm, I was able to go, well, and, and I mean, I'm saying this, but it was a struggle at first. And I had another bout of bowel obstruction, but I think it was more anxiety, just having to deal with that news. But once I worked through that, I went, okay, well, if he, if he thinks I'm going to die, then I'm just going to let him worry about the cancer stuff that you worry about that. I'm too busy worrying about not worrying, but I'm learning and growing and enjoying my life. So that's what I'm going to do. I love it, Lori. I I really hope that uh, people hear your story and they can really resonate with, you know, you're, you're, you're a mom, you're a mom of four kids, you know, been in a marriage 30 plus years and, and and here you are, uh, you know, not just making it, but thriving, Thriving. enjoying your life. Exactly. And so I may not be part of the charter challenge because I was talking to one of the lawyers yesterday saying, I can't say that I'm, I have all this anxiety and depression right. and everything. It worked. it worked too good. It worked too well. <laughs> we can, we'll find but, others. We'll find other yeah, plaintiffs yeah. that we can use for also, the charter yeah. challenge. And I also know that I was fortunate to know Dave. Yeah. And I had people in my life that could help me. Most people don't. So and I think that's, that's, a, that's right. a huge issue, Lori. We're yeah. talking about access. This should not be just the right of people who can fly to Costa Rica, fly to Holland, like you have $10,000, $15,000, and the rich people get to have access to this, and no one else has access. This is, this is that's wrong. This should be part of, of what the Canadian healthcare system eventually provides, and it should be work in consultation with therapists and yeah. physicians. That's what yeah. good looks like. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Dave, Absolutely. what's your, uh, what you are a trainer, you are training hundreds of therapists and, and physicians across Canada, knowing that eventually Health Canada is going to have to pay attention to this and give access. So you guys are preparing for those moments. That's why you're training so many people. What for you is the best kind of argument or that the heart passion that you have? Yeah, where my brain's at right now and might be a lesser concern to the larger um, uh, process that's going forward. But uh, as we, as you started and we have to continue to maintain, this is not just take uh, you know, some mushrooms and it's going to resolve your issues. This is a very uh, well-researched model of therapy. Uh, you know, Johns Hopkins, Imperial College, New York University have some of the finest institutions on the planet have, have worked the model. And in that model, what we have said, we maintain uh, very strongly, is that to safely guide someone through this process, the clinician themselves need to understand experientially what deep state psilocybin feels like. And so we have been asking the government to allow the therapists in their training to to experience it. And the government has said a hard no on this one. Uh, And again, it's not fair because they granted me the the ability to have my own experience so I could understand it. So they've already said yes to a handful of us, but no to the other 200. And that's just not fair. I mean, why do I get to have it and others don't? So they're just wrong on that one. But if, if we don't allow therapists themselves to experience this, we are putting their own acumen in the in the process in jeopardy and so while a lesser concern perhaps on the larger charter challenge is going we have to also keep the pressure on the government to allow the clinicians themselves to have the own experience so they can safely guide someone through an altered state experience which is very tricky and requires first-hand knowledge of that space and that's what we really need to do because we are going to need thousands and thousands of doctors nurses and therapists trained in this model once this becomes uh you know accessible to canadians and so gotta i, that, I mean i'm a little myopic on it but that's that's why i said we gotta we gotta do this as well 
Thank you so much, Dave, uh, for that, that framing of, of just understanding how important it is to get our professionals, our, our physicians, our therapists, uh, our support workers trained in this. They need to have their own experience. You know, they need to understand the landscape of the map. Yep. So when they take people in, they know exactly what's going to be happening emotionally right. and, and psychologically. So they can safely guide them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Oh, well, thank you so much. Uh, both of you are doing amazing work in your own right. Uh, I love that the three of us, uh, obviously, we the three of us love each other. We know each other. We're friends. But what a dream for me to be able to be talking with my buddy, Dave, and my good friend, Lori. And, uh, you know, who would have thought, you know, 30 years uh, ago when we first met that we'd <laughs> be right. on a, a national podcast talking about a psilocybin. It is funny to think talking of about it like magic that. mushrooms. Yeah, yeah, Just, yeah. Uh, It makes me laugh so much, man. <laughs> I know, it's pretty funny. Yet, you know, and yet this, it makes so much sense, right? And, and uh, it, of course, because we all have this heart to see people healed and, and be able to set free from some of their, their issues that we're facing. The mental health challenges in Canada, oh, we've never had these kind of issues before. Yeah. It's massive. And uh, our traditional tools are just not big enough to be able to handle what's, not, what's happening in, in, our, in our society yeah. and culture. Uh, and we could get into depression studies and all that and addiction and all the other goods that psilocybin is for we've only just focused on end-of-life anxiety for cancer which is the front edge of the wedge i mean yeah. once the charter is challenged on that one and we begin to see okay well we can't we can't keep that from people that are dying we've got to let them have access we're going to begin to start seeing the studies for anxiety for depression for smoking cessation for uh eating disorders the the, the research on this stuff is unbelievable yeah. and i can't wait to have conversations about that on future podcasts but i want to say thank you to each of you. Lori, what a privilege it is to have you on Unveiled and, and thank you for your okay. story. Thank Thanks, you. guys. Thanks a lot, Dave. Appreciate it. We'll have way more chat chat because this is uh, this is our space together, brother. Thanks okay. a lot, guys. Have a great day. Yeah, bye. Bye, guys. Bye.